this is something that's like uniquely human. Like this is what defines humanity, this audacity, this will, this like refusal to accept a limit. And I think that for us, like it really was about showing that in a woman, like in her fullness. And you don't get to see these, like you don't get to see movies like this. I think the movie was a kind of a miracle. Like you never get to see character, like characters like this on screen of, a, of people of a certain age, you know, doing something, I don't know, outrageous. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a long-distance swimmer sets out to achieve her lifelong goal in directors Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin's biographical sports drama, Nyad. The film tells the true story of how 60-year-old athlete Diana Nyad, with the help of her best friend and coach, committed herself to achieving her dream of completing a 110-mile swim from Cuba to Florida. In addition to Nyad, Vassarelli and Chin's other directorial credits include the documentary features Wildlife and Return to Space, and episodes of the documentary series Edge of the Unknown with Jimmy Chin and OpDocs. They are three-time DGA Award nominees for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Documentary for their features The Rescue, Free Solo, and Meru. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Vassarelli and Chen spoke with director Lisa Cholodenko about filming Nyad. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. I think this is the first time we've ever played the big theater. Yeah. Looking good. Because, you know, docks are normally next door. (laughs) All right, I'm just going to jump right in. I... Love this film. I'll just say that. I'm probably not supposed to give my personal, but um, I do. Um, So, yes, your background is largely in uh, documentary, documentary space, and we know you most from your um, incredible work on Free Solo and Meru and The Rescue. Um, So I want to know what drew you to make this story um, as your first narrative film. I mean, we we are attracted to these stories about humans who like kind of push the boundaries of what's possible and who have kind of like that audacity to dream big, but also the discipline to like put in the work. And when we read um, the script for Nyad, you know, we kind of both looked at each other and we're like, wow, like Diana Nyad is a woman who does just that. And she's not afraid um, to be ambitious, to be, you know, um, outspoken to be confident like and it was it was and we had been looking for a film that looked at those questions but with a female gaze and so here is this opportunity and um yeah (laughs) we second that um I, i think we also love stories about friendship too you know and i think this is an incredible friendship story of friendship and love yeah, you really, you really kind of got to the heart of that, like what fuels people forward and how critical that is to achieve these um, 
you know, feats of just the great accomplishment. So I, I loved how you wove that into the film. It was very um, moving. So can you talk about your, your process of co-directing and, you know, this film particularly, but did you feel, feel that it was different than directing Free Solo or a documentary that you've, you know, you've done a few of them? I don't think we'd ever been in the same place for so long before. And we've been married for, I don't know, 11, 12 years. But it was like we, I, we'd never been next to each other for 45 consecutive days before. Yeah. Like, you know, like working together, going home, like the whole thing. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, it's really special to have the opportunity in your 40s to evolve creatively and to be challenged creatively. And then also to evolve in your marriage. Like, I just never even anticipated that, that we would kind of grow together. And suddenly, like, this was hard. It was hard. And we, I think that we emerged from it kind of a different couple and also different creatively, like a stronger creatively. Do you want to say anything about that? <laughs> I don't know if there's anything I can say that's safe. No. <laughs> no, I mean, I think... I would agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, in a lot of ways we bring very different things to the table when we work on films. And I think our strength is that we have very different points of view. And, uh, you know, that was very much the case with this film and being able, like Chai said, like normally we're doing different things and, um, in different places. And this was, uh, really incredible to kind of be together and be able to work collaboratively on on this project every day. Yeah, just to that, I mean, I know co-directing is really a subtle process that can be challenging. Did you feel like you had a strategy going in or did it feel organic how it worked out? I mean, it was very organic because, I mean, we've we've made how many docs together? I mean, yeah, six, um, under extreme circumstances that were very, very stressful. And generally, like, Free Solo is a good example where, you know, that film couldn't have been made by one of us. It had to be made, made by both of us just also because of the, like, very, very deep trust we have in one another where I wouldn't question what Jimmy you know, his assessment. And then if I'm asking for something editorially, let's say the Boulder problem for those of you who remember it, you know, it was a big deal, but he understood it was important and he didn't question me. So it, it's like, a, it's a very, um, I don't know, it's, it is a very organic and, um, I don't know, nice process. Um, and it's also really fun to see your partner do something they're really good at. And like, I don't know, like. Yeah, yeah I, I think we've been working on all these docs over the years, we understand what each other's strengths are, but it's not, it's kind of unspoken. And so when, when we were finally on set together, working on this film together, just to kind of, it was organic, but to, just to see your partner using their strengths, leaning on their strengths, them leaning on your, you know, the other strengths and being able to kind of do that in a way that, you know, I think it really brought us together. I mean, a good example is to say, like, I was mortified. Like, I, cu I couldn't imagine 450 people looking at me and asking, like, looking for us to tell them what to do. But Jimmy had this extensive kind of commercial background, and he was like, I got this. Like, I, you know, I'm used to having 400 people looking at me and asking me what to do. 
and it, it just we kind of evolved like in, when we were comfortable we were comfortable like yeah and better. I think I think yeah. you know when you're on set everybody in here knows like the stakes feel very high and the schedule's pressing and there's budget concerns and there's a thousand and one questions but we've worked in very high stakes environments before so I think you know we were able to kind of compartmentalize and be able to move through um, some of these more challenging days for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go on and on about this, but it is interesting to me that this was the first narrative film that you've done. So the job of directing actors, which is a huge part of narrative filmmaking, did you look at the script beforehand and say, you know, what is going on underneath this text? Like, how are we going to communicate with actors? What do we want from this scene? It's like a whole other level of directing. It, it's interesting because I had only, the only narrative film I'd ever worked on was 20 years ago and it was Closer, where I was Mike Nichols' personal assistant. And so I thought movies are made by, of course you rehearse for over a month mm. and the, the writer is there changing every word as you wish. You know, Julia Roberts is, is giving her feedback and everyone's working on it. So I, I, I think the truth is we like won the lottery, the jackpot with Annette, ben Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. Like it just... For real. Yeah, and Risa Fonts, but like we really truly, like for people who've never directed actors, like, you know, you re it really doesn't get any better. Um, and also this opportunity to create two really rich roles for women, you know, and two of the best actors of their generation. So like, I think that we all leaned into it. So there was a lot of development and in that, you know, Julia Cox, um, the, our writer, you know, we would have these meetings with, you know, Annette, Jody, and Julia, Jimmy, and myself, and over and over again, working the script, working the script, working the script. And then Annette and Jody and Reese are just such consummate professionals, like they wanted to rehearse, we rehearsed. And also, had they had very valuable feedback on, you know, on details or larger ideas. And it was a very collaborative um, experience. And what's you know, coming from docs, like we always, like our job as a director when you're making a documentary is to listen. You just listen and you watch and then you go away and kind of like try to synthesize this truth you may have observed. Whereas here, like you, you've got to have incredibly powerful creative partners. And that was exciting. That was really exciting. Yeah, just a personal thing. When I worked with Annette, I just was kind of awed at how dramaturgical she was and that she really cared and sat down and was like, I'm doing this job, so I'm giving you, you know, the best of me. And it starts with the text, and it was just, it was a gift. So you did get good actors. And, you know, the next question I had was, um, can you talk about the casting process, and were they in your mind when you, you took on the project? It always had to be Annette. I don't, I'm, she's such a remarkable actor. And we, it was really important for us to cast age-appropriately, and, you know, I, to her great credit, like she thought very deeply about whether she would take the role because she is the type of actor who would put in the work. And she understood, I mean, she ended up training for over a year um, to prepare herself for the physical challenges of the role. Like she swam daily, every day. And she also was unafraid to portray a woman, to play a woman in her full complexity, maybe not likable all the time, you know you know, maybe not wearing makeup, like it just like all putting it all out there. So, you know, it always had to be Annette. And we were so, so thrilled when she said yes. And then like, 
you know, then we got really spoiled when Jodie Foster said yes to playing Bonnie. <laughs> um, and it was incredibly special because they, they also, the two of them, like Jodie and Annette, being the professionals they are, they put in, they spent a lot of time with the real Diana and the real Bonnie. Oh. And they also spent a lot of time with them together to observe the friendship. And, you know, Annette and Jodie had been um, acquaintances, like not necessarily like, you know, hanging out all the time. And it was interesting to see how their friendship evolved, you know, as they were making this film. And, you know, Jodie was always like the mo person most concerned about how many hours Annette's been in the tank. You know, so it, it was it was a really special like opportunity for us. Yeah, that's just so interesting thinking about what you said to the other question, which is, you know, how was it for you guys as a pair? You're talking about the evolving relationship in, in doing this thing together um, and then having them kind of on the other side of the camera, having their own experience of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved seeing how their friendship evolved on camera, but off camera as well. I mean, it was so natural, and I think that that relationship kind of comes out on the screen that they that mutual respect um and friendship that they they genuinely had yeah i mean as a director i could really feel that and i was so impressed with how that could come out of the film that they it felt authentic you know at the end by the time that they kind of were really more vulnerable with each other it felt um yeah that's the magic of of making these kinds of films where you know, you hope that there's some kind of truth that resonates, that feels real. Um, yeah, no, it's a big feat. And that's a lot. I mean, The Kids Are All Right was definitely one of our, you know, touchstone films. <laughs> the, the way that relationship plays out in its full complexity is, like, is amazing. So. Oh, thanks. You throw Mark Ruffalo in oh. there and, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just want to, you know, Annette did spend um, a ton of time in the tank, and um, she had sent me a picture actually along the way, and I was like, damn, you're cut. And I was, I thought, like, what kind of training are you going through? And maybe you could talk a little bit about how she trained and what, you know, what she expected of herself and sort of the, the master plan for getting her to the point where she could really do it as a performer and then she could really sell it as a Diane Nyad, Diana Nyad. Um, I mean, that was all in that. You know, this the swimming was the one thing we would never be able to control, right? We were still in the end of the pandemic, and Annette quietly, you know, asked for a, a, a former Olymp Olympian to teach her um, to come do some private sessions with her. She trained with a very good friend of Jimmy's, but of course, no one's like no one reports back to us. And it was one of the single most special moments um, when or her first day at the tank, they were doing a water safety check, and you know we had the best stunt doubles you could imagine, all ready to like you know swim for a net if need be for a shot, and you know the best underwater DP and all the water safety. And she got in the tank, everyone was watching, and she swam. And it was not even it's not a relief; it was a moment of wonder because it was there was it was effortless, and we we're like oh. She's got this, you know, <laughs> like, and it was amazing. And then, you know, she, it was really important to her that the stroke be consistent, the stroke not be Diana's stroke, but be consistent to her, her Diana's stroke. Right. And so we never used these stunt doubles, you know, that were available. And it also allowed us in our modest budget to keep on shooting through because she had the stamina and endurance. Um, but as Bonnie Stoll, the real Bonnie Stoll likes to say, um, Annette's still swimming. And... 
you know, it's just kind of amazing. And, you know, you, you, you were. Yeah, I mean, I think authenticity is something that was really important to us. And so that was, like Chai said, we weren't, that was the one thing we weren't in control of. So having that moment that, and, and I grew up swimming competitively, you know, from a very young age through high school, but to see her swimming, I remember looking at all of the, the stunt doubles and everybody was like, Go wow. Yeah. And then, you know, they ended up just doing safety the whole time because <clears throat> Annette, you know, was really adamant about doing all of the swimming. She was like, no, they'll be able to tell, like, it's got to be me. I'm going to do it. And, you know, four to six hours a day in the tank. And our um, stunt coordinator said to me multiple times, he's like, I've never had someone do this. And he's very well established stunt coordinator he's like this is unbelievable like he he would say it almost every day because she was in there um for so long so we were just really grateful yeah i was going to ask you one question about like it just was so physical and so rigorous and i know you didn't do it in the the ocean or most of it you did it in a tank but like what was required of her how many hours was she you know how did you do that when you're like we're gonna take another do another take and uh, how did how did she keep going, or how'd you work with her in that way? Well, a lot of you know you're always under time pressure, so taking her out of the tank and putting her back in and in and out like you know that takes a lot of time, so oftentimes she would stay in the water right. and you know we would check in and <laughs> Jody would ask us to check in and um and we'd ask our stunt coordinator and she, you know she was like no i'm i'm good to go i'm good to go and i think that really helped as i'm sure everybody here knows when when someone like that sets the tone on on set yeah. you know it kind of elevates everybody you know everybody is kind of like okay we we need to all step up yeah it's really true it's um it's like i said before it's a real gift to have somebody like that. They're just consummate professionals and will go beyond what people expect. So it was great to, great to cast her. Um, you consulted with several specialists that were with Diana on these, on these trips, on her journey. Can you talk about um, your relationship with, with them and, and the working dynamic you had on the set? Well, we didn't have any of these specialists on set with us. I think it was all about the research that we did before in the preparation, um, unless I'm misremembering something. Um, and just kind of, you know, Angel, Dr. Angel Yakihara is like the world specialist. Like, it's the real deal. Like, she's the world specialist on jellyfish and box jellyfish. And actually, we've had this. It's been wonderful to have um, some of the real life people come out um, now and do Q&As for the film. Because, you know, you just kind of, you see this like electricity, you know, that they all share. And then they went through this amazing experience together. Um, you know, and like, you know, the late, like John Bartlett, who's played by Risa Fons, like he passed away, like shortly after the swim. But it's, you know, his his widow, Elkie, has like, has, you know, seen the film, was out, did, you know, did some appearances with us. And it's just, it, it's like kind of like a pinchy moment when you see the real people who lived through something so historic. Yeah, what is a box jellyfish? <laughs> it's the most venomous jellyfish oh. in the world. What, what's the what's the word that other people call it a different name? Oh, totally yeah, um, 
think that I think they're the most venomous creatures on the planet, actually. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and it's lethal. I mean, it's supposed to kill you. So that, I don't want to go sideways, but that sting is is like it's there to stun the person. Like it. Normally, you die. I mean, Diana did die, and that like that the way you see it in the in the movie, like she stopped breathe, like she she wow. stopped breathing for. Quite a bit, and it was just very—I don't know. I don't know. It's a very unique Diana thing. I don't. I, she somehow powered through it. Um, well, she got those great masks and yeah. protection, and that was—I mean, it's kind of funny, but it was pretty excellent to show what you have to go through to to get through the the, the treachery of the the ocean. Um, so the film's coming out on the tenth anniversary of this historic swim. Um, can you talk about releasing the film timed to that major event? I think just kind of, we got lucky, <laughs> you know, it's, and it's, I mean, it's just, it's been 10 years. Um, this film was postponed a bunch because of the pandemic and which allowed us more time to work on the script and rehearse. And it's just very special. Like who knew that we would actually coincide that she actually walked up on that beach 10 years ago, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Good timing. It's that pandemic was working for you. God. Um, so the film, you know, at the heart of it is about per- perseverance and um, chasing an extreme dream, which you two capture those things incredibly well. Um, and also living life without regrets and, you know, age just being a number, not, you know, something to hold you back. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that and, in that sense, like, why was it important for you to tell this film? No, I mean, I think that every movie we make is kind of like my exploration into Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy is still a professional, like, climber. Like, he is, he, he pushes those boundaries and lives that life. And it's been really special to have the opportunity to bring that sort of authenticity to these types of stories, as well as the craft of storytelling. And like where, you know, Diana's story, yes, is about this extraordinary swim, but it's really about how she moved through certain challenges and how she, and this friendship that, you know, provides like the beating heart of the film. Um, So I don't know, I like, it's funny, like I think it's like in the age of AI, like this is something that's like uniquely human. Like, this is what defines humanity, this audacity, this will, this, like, refusal to accept a limit. Um, And I think that for us, like, it really was about showing that in a woman and showing a woman, like, in her fullness. And you don't get to see these, like, you don't get to see movies like this. I think the movie was a kind of a miracle. Like you never get to see character, like characters like this on screen of of people of a certain age and, you know, doing something... I don't know, outrageous. But, um, I mean, that's why I wanted to make it. But do you... Yeah, no, I also think, like Chai said, these stories appeal to us because we have a certain connection to them. And I think Chai has a connection to this story and, and from one point of view, and I have a connection to it maybe through a different point of view. Because I, I totally get her. And I am surrounded by, you know, my peer group is made up of, a lot of people like Diana, you know, and I, I get it, you know, it's like you're trying to do something that, you know, everybody's telling you that it's impossible, but you know within yourself that you think you can do it, but it still takes a ton of courage to act on that. 
and to gather people around you and build that momentum to try something, it's really hard to do. And I respect that because I know what it's like and I've seen other people go through it and you fail too. And sometimes you never achieve it. And the story of having her put this together and try that many times and actually make it is, is hugely inspiring to me because I know what it takes. Yeah. And you obviously showed that in free solo and this was just a different genre and it was sort of beautifully, you know, said in the same kind of with the same spirit. Um, I also thought it was interesting, you know, that you wanted to a little bit look under the hood of Diana's, you know, background and, you know, maybe without completely focusing on it, you know, these are special humans that just are wired to drive, but there's also, at least in the case of Diana, this reference to like experiences that maybe thwarted her at a young age and, you know, the decision to kind of, you know, express that, put layer that into her experience, but also not to make that the, the, the thrust of the story and make that front and center. I thought that, you know, it's a delicate balance to do that. Um, do you have any thoughts about kind of how you guys decided to, where you decided to go with that? No, I mean, it was essential that we treat um, her history of sexual abuse with great respect and great, I think, restraint too, because like, it's just one of the things she has had to move through. And I'm kind, I'm kind of tired of how so many women's stories are kind of hijacked by making it like focusing entirely on this coach or whatever it is going to be. And he's not the reason why she did it. She, he is just one thing she moved through. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it was very important for us to do it the right way. We felt a real responsibility um, to include it and to be, I don't know, like um, to bring kind of respect and craft to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really felt that. And I did think, um, Forgive me, I forgot the the um, the climber's name in Free Solo. Alex Honnold. Yeah, like you spent a lot of time in that show talking about maybe his neurodiversity and like what is it about this character that can actually just <laughs> where's the fear factor and whatnot, you know? And these are where 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 does this extraordinariness come from in somebody, you know? And how do you show that with respect and? Um, equanimity and not focus on that as like, this is why the person got to the top and this is why the person, you know, got to the other side. Because it's really not that, but it's a piece of everything. So. I mean, you're, you're some of your experiences, right? So it's not one thing that has become the central motivation. You know, it's complicated. It's complex. So, Yeah, so I'll just say again, I think you guys did a beautiful job. Um, in the script, in the directing, um, in all the pieces showing that this is complicated. Let's not reduce it. Um, I really appreciated that. I thought it showed a lot of integrity and high-quality filmmaking. Um, so in closing, what do you guys expect the audience, like what was your feeling about what well, the takeaway is this? Or what are you hoping the takeaway would be? It's interesting, whenever we talk about um, like this idea of like the extreme athlete or people with these audacious kind of aspirations. Like I have to think also, I mean, of most people in this room who are directors and trying to make a movie. It's kind of the same like 
crazy dream, impossible against all odds. <laughs> and, you know, I think we really just hope that um, audiences find inspiration in Bonnie and Diana's story and this, this idea that, like, it's never too late to chase your dreams if you have the right team around you. But it's, you know, I think it really comes down to this idea that a woman woke up and, when she, she was 60 and was like, the world is done, maybe done with me, but I'm not done with the world. And that's amazing. You know. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, it hits, for me, it hit on a lot of different levels, that being, of course, a big one. But... Um, you know, just to go back to the partnership thing, like what a, it, it really showed, I think, because they weren't having a romantic relationship, what does it mean to have, you know, a person that's like-minded, a person that gets you, the person that pushes you forward? And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think you endeavored to make an inspirational story in, like, the conventional way. And so um, kudos to you. I think you did a great job of having that just come out organically and the friendship being one piece of that. Thank yeah. Yeah. Um, of course. Kudos. Not, not an easy movie to make. So I'm like, I'm just still kind of starstruck because I grew up like, I mean, high art, you know, Laurel Canyon, um, kids all right have been like really important films to me. And I mean, I think what you see in the kids all right, this idea of the chosen family, and, you know, we were looking at that. We were always looking at that and trying to see how people had treated it. And so anyway, so thank you for doing this, Lisa. Thank you. So my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Well done. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. And you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 